Back when I was an executive pastor a long time ago, I would wake up a particular way in the morning, several mornings a week, and it drove Jenny nuts. Uh, I would wake up with a gasp, okay? So I'd be sleeping along like this, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> I would leap up out of, you know, jump up <gasps> with a gasp, and, and of course, immediately, she's like, what? What? What's wrong? What's wrong? And, you know, you can't wake up that way. And it's because I had like a thousand things that I was trying, a thousand plates I was trying to spin. And I was like, oh, you know, I, it just as soon as I was semi-conscious, my brain was like, you know, like those paddles that the paramedics have. And that's how I would bolt up like that. It's just, she hated it. Uh, that's in part uh, because my default setting from the factory, when I came out of the chute, my default setting is to be a nervous Nelly. I own it. I'm one of those. Yes, I'm a nervous Nelly. When the kids were younger and we would go to somebody's house, I was the, I was the parent. Jenny, where are, they? where are the kids? What are they doing? What are they getting into stuff? I can't hear them. Wait, wait, I can hear them. Oh, my goodness, they're into trouble. You know, and so back and forth and back and forth. I'm, I'm the guy that, you know, driving along and I hear this noise in the car and I'm, it's the transmission. I just know it. I, you know, is the transmission's going out, and I don't have $5,000, and we're not going to replace this. It's just terrible, okay? And those are the kinds of thoughts that I would have. And then occasionally, you know, if I have a pain or whatnot, the default setting, again, unless I do the Holy Spirit stuff, and I'll get into that in a minute, the default setting is, I probably have cancer. It's a, that or heart disease, or they're going to have to amputate my leg, you know? It just, do you know nervous Nellies? They're, you know, they can, sometimes they're called Debbie Downers, okay, but nervous Nellies, they're, they're around. Some folks worry extra in life, but everyone worries, everyone, everyone gets a little anxious. The really, really young people here today, I know you, I was you once, you woke up this morning and you did this thing in the mirror, is this outfit okay, is my hair perfect, oh my God, oh my gosh, are they going to notice the breakout last night, ah, okay, so, and you're worried about that stuff. Some of you who are just young, okay, you're doing the whole thing of, and if you're single, am I going to meet a Christian man? Am I going to meet a Christian woman? I mean, I'm, I'm 24. I'm not even married yet. I'm never going to have kids. It's not going to work out. And so you worry and fret, and then you, you have that blind date or that first date, and there's so much writing on it. <laughs> you feel the gasp that I used to wake up with, okay? Uh, and then there's the parents in the gym, the, right? And you worry, are the kids doing okay at school? Are they making friends? Are they adjusting? Are they going to turn out okay? Please tell me they're going to turn out okay. If you're a parent of teenagers, I just have two words that should strike fear into your heart. Prom night. Yeah, yeah see, when they're going out the door, you do that thing, don't you? Now, if you feel pressured to do anything, you'll call me, right? And, you know, that clutch in your heart, okay? Uh, some of you, some of the middle-aged folks in the gym, you're, you're doing the thing of, I'm not going to be able to retire. This is, the, I thought when I was 20, I would be able to retire. Am I going to be able to retire? Then, am I going to hold on to my health? Because you're at the point now where you know some people and they've got health issues and you're thinking, I don't want that to be me, okay? Everyone worries. Everyone worries. And most people will acknowledge most people, not even non-Christians, they will acknowledge that worrying is bad and you shouldn't do it. Even normal people off the street, yeah, you shouldn't worry. Huh? Okay, but, but everyone does it. It's kind of like the 95-year-old lady in the nursing home. 95-year-old lady in the nursing home. One of the deacons from her church came to visit. Oh, honey, how are you doing today? I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm just so worried. Really? 
what's, what's going on? Are, are they treating you okay in the nursing home? Is everything going okay? Oh, they're treating me just fine. Okay, well, if, if, they're, if they're treating you just fine, you know, what, what's the problem? What are you worried about? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. All of my friends, all of my best friends have died, and they've all gone to heaven. And I'm worried that they're wondering where I'm at. <laughs> okay? Should she be worrying about that kind of stuff? No, that, those concerns are silly. It's a silly concern, and yet we worry. If you think about it, worry is often a byproduct of something else. Worry is a byproduct of fear. We're afraid of a particular outcome. We're stressing over something that we did in the past or something that was done in the past, but we're afraid that something's going to go wrong. And that fear is what creates worry. The irony of it is that fear and faith run along parallel tracks. Fear on the one track is... is thinking about the future and having an orientation to the future where you're convinced something bad is going to happen, right? You know, your daughter brings home that boyfriend and you're like, oh my goodness, you meet him, okay? Or whatever that fear thing is, it's just, this is going to end bad. And then faith, faith runs along a parallel track, but faith is also oriented to the future and is thinking about an outcome, but faith is this confidence that, yeah, God's in control, it's all going to work out, it's okay, isn't that the weirdest thing? They run along the same, you know, they're both future-oriented. They're both uh, focused on the outcome, but one results in something positive. One results in something that's going to make you take medicine or see your psychiatrist twice, weekly, okay? Um, fear has the potential to keep you and I from being generous, from living life, from experiencing God's best because we're worried that something's bad's going to happen. Jesus understood this, which is why he took some time to talk about birds and flowers and trees, and we're going to get into that passage today, right? Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, it's part of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking in this passage, he's following up uh, a section where he basically challenges people to be generous. He says, you know what? Be generous. Everything you have is given from God anyway. Just let go. Be a pipe, not a bucket. Just let it flow through you. And because he knew people would do the whole, well, if I'm generous with my money, when my fridge goes bad, what's going to happen? If, I'm, you know, if I let them borrow the car and they crash it, I won't have a car. I mean, so, you know, they didn't have cars back then. I know that. But, you know, okay. So he knew that bottom rail, that bottom thing, the track was running all the time. So he goes into this extended teaching on worry. I love what R.T. France has to say about this passage. R.T. France is this really egghead theologian, and like when you're reading the commentaries of Matthew, his is the thickest. Like back when I was a kid, we would have used his commentary for the kid booster seat. It's that thick, okay? The notes on any given page, so he'll have the commentary, and then he has commentary on his commentary on the passage, and a lot of the times, the commentary on the commentary takes up more of the page than the actual commentary. I mean, it's just funny. Okay, R.T. France, this is what he says about this passage. The simple analogy is worth many paragraphs of reasoned argument, but he gives them anyway. The meaning is simple but undeniable. So let's get into this simple but undeniable meaning. Uh, 625, Jesus says this, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I want to draw out a few things about that verse for a minute. The word there for worry can often mean distracted. 
Sometimes in the New Testament, it's used for distracted. And I think back to Mary and Martha. Mary, Jesus comes into their home. Mary's like, Jesus! Martha's like, okay, i got to get the plates on the table. Hey, 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 Jesus! Right? Remember, Martha was a fretter. Martha was a worrier. Martha was distracted. She's the very son of God in her home. Worried about the plates and all the stuff on the table. Isn't that silly? I mean, really, if Jesus came to your house, <laughs> and yet the nervous Nelly came out, okay? So sometimes it means distracted. In other places in the New Testament, that word for worry can mean strangled or choked. Isn't that a good analogy for worry? <laughs> there it is, right there. Worry, anytime it's presented in the New Testament, this is going to be obvious, is never presented in a positive light. Worry is always a bad thing anytime it comes up in the New Testament, which is why distracted, bad, choked, worried, okay? But Jesus, what does he say? He says, I tell you not to worry. Isn't there a part of you and me that wants to go, now, wait a minute, who are you to be telling us not to worry? I mean, it just kind of happens, but I want to wait into that for a little bit. Unlike anger and other emotions that just happen, you know, the funny thing in the Bible is... um, In the Bible, we're told, when you're angry, don't sin in your anger. Or when somebody's, you know, hacked you off and and hurt you, you know, go forgive them, da-da-da. He doesn't, never in the Bible are we told, don't feel bad because someone hurt you. Don't be mad. But Jesus does say, don't worry. And so, as far as Jesus is communicating to us, he's wanting us to know that worry is actually something that we have some control and leverage over. It's a choice that we can do, and I want to wade into that. And he gives several reasons why worry is silly, all right? And so let's get into some of Jesus' uh, reasons. The first is found um, in the second part of verse 25. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He's saying, hey, you came out of the chute from mom with a body and life. When you get old, you're going to be thrilled that you're still sucking wind and your body works. Those are the most important things, right? So why would you fret about how the fridge is working? Why would you fret about this other stuff that's not near as important as your body and your life? And I gave you that from the get-go. And at the end of the day, that's what's most important anyway, right, to you. Okay, so uh, he's using a little bit of logic there. And let's pick it up in verses 26 and 27. Jesus says this, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Now he's making an argument from lesser to greater. And he's saying, these little birds on the ground, they're just little birds. They're, you know, cheap. I mean, there's a bazillion of them. And God cares for them. And aren't you more important than a bird? And you and I would say, well, duh. And so he lesser to the greater, and he says, since you're far more important, and if God cares for them, then shouldn't he also care for you? Doesn't he care for you? Or isn't he going to provide what you need? Um, and so we're, Jesus is wanting us to make that connection. Have you ever watched birds taking the time? I mean, first of all, in just sheer personality, they strike me like a nervous Nelly because they're always darting, and, you know, the, the head motions are all quick and darting. Uh, they're always working, aren't they? I've never seen a lazy bird that's just, you know, oh, this is a great day. Man, the sun is gorgeous. I need to adjust the screen up a little bit. 
I've never seen it. They're, you know, they're always looking for food, always looking for worms, building their nest, taking stuff to the nest, feeding their young. I've never seen a lazy bird. I've seen injured birds, but I've never seen a lazy bird. And so uh, the issue here isn't work. God expects us to work and work for things in life. But the thing that birds don't do that we humans do is they don't hoard. Have you ever seen a bird with like a storage bin? <laughs> really, I mean, they don't. They, it's what I need today. I'm good. Thanks. I'll worry about tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, we're good. Thank you very much. I mean, that's the bird attitude, okay? So I want to draw a little bit of that out. And then in verse 27, uh, I love what, he's, what he says here. He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Reason number two, why we shouldn't worry and trust God. Worry doesn't work. At the end of the day, Jesus is saying worry is unproductive. Uh, it accomplishes nothing. It changes nothing. It's futile. There's no practical or positive benefit whatsoever to worrying. In fact, the only thing that worry can do is actually harm you. I mean, if you think about it, right? If you're driving along in your car and you hear that noise, and you're like, oh, it's the transmission. I just know it's the transmission. And you start worrying about it. Can your worry about the transmission fix the transmission? No. Is it going to have any effect whatsoever on the working of your car? No. But what it will do for you is, right, you, your head might start throbbing and you'll have to take the Advil. You might have the percolations in your stomach and then you go see the doctor and he's like, well, <clears throat> it could be acid reflux or it could be an ulcer. And you take the purple pill and we'll see if that works and if that, then we'll have to scope you and da 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 and you're like, ugh. Okay, worry can actually harm your body. It does no good. It's not productive. It can't do anything positive, but it can hurt you. Isn't that weird? It's the weirdest thing. Let's pick it up in verses 28 to 30. Jesus says this, and why worry about your clothing? Ah, oh, that would have been, if I had heard this when I was a teenager, why worry about your clothing? See, teenagers, you're going to get, this is an aside. This is for free. When I first married Jenny, my father-in-law would roll out, father-in-law would roll out of bed, not do anything to his hair, have a pajama top and a pair of pants and go to the hardware store. And I was like, oh, I thought that was the most, why can you, I'm so there. <laughs> Two months ago, my son commented to me. It's like, Dad, you haven't even showered or anything. Did you go out like that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> See, you'll get to a point and you just don't care. Okay, so that's an aside, right? Why? So, you know, my point to you would be, you know, let's just shorten that period up. We're going to just stop fretting now. Okay, why worry about your clothing? Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. And yet, Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Another reason why we should stop worrying and trust God is that God provides. You've got the flowers. Uh, you've got the lilies. Um, and, and the kicker is verse 30. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, he will certainly care for you. And Jesus uses this little uh, word for little faith. Um, little faith is not the absence of faith. It's just a deficiency of faith. And I really believe that most deficiency of faith issues are tied to our view of God. If at the end of the day, we don't think God's really all that kind, if at the end of the day we doubt his motives, if at the end of the day we think, uh, he's not going to come through for me, he's not going to come through for us, we have a deficient view of God. And that causes us to activate we, the fear, okay? We're, we're fearful. The outcome's going to be bad. We, God's not going to come through for us. 
and then worry starts. It's this weird thing that plays out. Um, and what Jesus, I think, is implying in this, this one verse right here is when you have the right view of God, when you have a fully orbed view of who God is as a heavenly father who cares for his children more than you and I will ever know, then we can have that faith confidence. You know what? It's going to be okay because my heavenly father cares for me and loves me and at the end of the day is going to come through for me. Isn't that Come on, that's a confidence that, that, that's like Mother Teresa level confidence, but that's what Jesus wants for everybody, not just Mother Teresa, but all of us in this room, all of us in this room. Let's look at another reason Jesus gives in verses 31 to 34. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Worry, here's, here's another reason Jesus gives. Worry is what unbelievers do who don't understand God's care. Worry is unchristian. Worry is actually atheism in action. Worry, un, aren't unbelievers the ones who are always worried about this and that? Aren't, isn't it unbelievers? They're worried about money. They're worried about stuff. They're worried about their social status. When the prices jump at the pump, oh my, it's going to be terrible. We're all going to die. Okay? And, and Jesus is saying, Look, don't be like unbelievers who have no... See, unbelievers don't have God in the picture. There's nobody to carry the day. There's nobody to depend on. It's just me. It's Darwinian, whatever, okay? So um, Jesus wants us to have that fully orbed picture of God so that we have the confidence in God. Um, and so verse 33 is where he, he makes a promise, and he says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And this is a conditional clause statement in the Bible. And, and what Jesus is saying is, in effect, this. If you'll be about my concerns, if you'll be about God's concerns first, I'll be about meeting your needs. Uh, this doesn't mean we get whatever we want. So if you go home today and you do the, oh, Lord, I need a 96-inch plasma TV. Lord, I need one. It <laughs> Some of us are going to get religion now, okay? <laughs> one may not plunk out of the sky. I'm just saying, okay? It, it doesn't mean we get whatever we want, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for what we need, Right? Jesus in the Lord's Prayer tells us, ask, tell, you know, I need to eat today. I need life today. I need you today. I need, there's some things I need. Here's what I need, Lord. Um, this is a promise that we can count on uh, God. And, and the funny thing is, this follows this uh, passage about money. And I've learned this more times than not. And you've heard other people at Generations talk about it. Like where you're writing your God check. You, you always write that at the first of the month, and the weird thing is, by the end of the month, you have what you need to make all the month's bills. It's weird the way that works. I've done that more times than not. I, uh, I remember a time where uh, I wrote a check, and I can't remember the amount. It was somewhere between $800 and $1,000. So I wrote a God check, but I, there was a home repair related to that same thing that was happening at home. And I was like, I can't, I need this money because we burnt through our emergency fund, and da-da-da-da, but I wrote it anyway. And sure enough, like... Two weeks, uh, yeah, it was about two weeks later, um, a check came in the mail from an extended family member for some unrelated reason, and it was that exact same amount. I was like, oh, 
God will... Okay. See, and you, you make those connections. And the, the same thing happens in relationships and other things, which is why in verse 34, Jesus says this, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. You should be amening that. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. Amen. Okay. One day at a time. One day at a time. Uh, in the Old Testament, when God's people left Egypt before they got to the promised land, they were trekking around some pretty rough territory known as the desert. Okay? Uh, they couldn't harvest crops. They didn't have a Kroger or a Walmart. And so what would happen is when they woke up in the morning, there was all this manna all over the ground that they could eat. Some of the people were like, ooh, this is awesome. And they took up the manna that they needed, and and they took up extra. I'm just going to set some of this aside because you never know. I mean, God might get angry. I mean, who knows how this is going to play out. So, you know, I'm just going to hold on to this extra manna. And then the next morning when they woke up, there was still fresh new manna on the ground. I'm not going to get into the Sabbath stuff for those of you that are really tight about it, okay? But... They found that the stuff that they hoarded on a Monday or a Tuesday had rotted that night. It wasn't good. You couldn't eat it. And so there's a, there's a principle there. And, and, and I think Jesus is drawing it out here when he says, uh, today's trouble is enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. You can count on God for today. And when I'm facing big issues in life, whether they're relationships or finances or whatever, I work really hard not to look down the road. I, I, when I'm talking to God, I'm like, okay, let's talk about today. This is what I need today. This is how I need to count on you today. And it's just about today because tomorrow is tomorrow. And there's a real, it's a one day at a time thing. And that's really important to keep in mind. Okay, so, all right, we've, we've gone through the passage, but I want to draw some things out now. In light of what Jesus has to say about fear and money, and worry, I want to ask you a few things. And here's the first question I want to ask. If God were more involved in your finances, if God were more involved in your marriage, if God were more involved with your job, with your schooling, with your relationships, would you feel more or less secure? If God were more involved in your finances, your job, your schooling, your relationships, would you feel more secure? Or less secure? And then the second question Does it make sense to trust God with your salvation, but not your finances, or your marriage, or your kids, or your car, <laughs> or the refrigerator? I mean, think about it. We evangelical Christians, we say there's heaven, there's hell, there's, there's sin, there's this big gospel story. Jesus died in our place, He died the death that we deserve so we could live, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we'll put our confidence in Jesus only for that big thing. I mean, think about it. That's pretty big. Life with God forever or no life with God forever. So we'll put confidence in there, and yet then we'll worry about all this other stuff, which if you think about it logically, none of that's as important as life and death salvation. So um, it really doesn't make sense to trust God with your salvation and not your finances or health or relationships, all right? How to win over worry. I want to give some practical advice now, all right? How to win over worry. First and foremost, uh, get on a track where you're making God's concerns come first. 
maybe the practical way that it, that it'll play out is is money or a relationship, or what I don't know what it is in your world, but make God's concerns your first concerns because there's that promise in in chapter in uh, in that verse. If you'll be about, if you'll seek my kingdom, if you'll uh, make my concerns your top priority, I'll be about meeting your needs. So what is that in your life, and how does that look? Start focusing on God's agenda. And then the second thing is, uh, is a choice that you and I make um, to, choose, uh, to choose to trust God to meet your needs. And here's how I want to flesh this out. Uh, worry, uh, worry, like I said in the beginning, is this bottom rail and it's when we believe the outcome is going to be bad. And some of us are programmed, pre-programmed out of the chute to have that to be our default setting, okay? Uh, but each and every day when I wake up, I, chew, I make a decision. And I actually sometimes will say it out loud. And I'll say, God, I'm tempted to think that. But I know from your word and I know from past experience that you're not like that. You're like this. I can count on you. And sometimes I have to say it out loud, and it's amazing. Um, and there's a couple of ways that you can help cement that in, in your life. One is scripture intake. When you're reading chunks of this, it gets in here and in here, and it becomes more of a settled thing in your soul and in your spirit. And you're, you, and you're like, okay, I can count on God. I can count on God. I can count on God. And then the second thing is within the context of community. Um, it's been great the last couple of small groups that we've had at our house, how, you know, just hearing other people talk about their struggles and how they're choosing to trust God, it actually helps me trust God more. It's the weirdest thing. Isn't it, isn't it weird when God comes through from somebody, they, they, they've prayed and prayed, maybe there's been a medical issue and they were going to have tests and da, 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 and then they come and they tell you, and the lump is gone. And you're like, Wow. And all of a sudden, the fact that God did something for them, you in your mind, you go, well, if God did something for them, then he might do something for me. He can do something for me, okay? So there's a faith thing that happens in the context of community. The last thing is uh, what, I, what I would call a grateful list. And uh, one of the ways to drain worry out of your life is to dial up the things that God has provided and done for you. Um, isn't it amazing how it takes an ice storm for all of us to go, man, central heat rocks. I love central heat. This is awesome. I love my electric heat, and it's toasty warm. It's 67. I love it. But an ice storm, it goes away, and all of a sudden, heat becomes, you know, you're like, man, this is awesome. Or when you've had to go stay overnight on the floor of a school because of a mission project or something like that, or you've been away in a hotel and the bed's horrible, and you're like, I have an awesome bed. I love my bed. Thank you, God, for my bed. There, there's, uh, there's somebody in our church family, and on their drive to work, every, every, they've been doing this for several weeks now, on their drive to work, they turn off the radio, and they just start thinking of everything, big and small, that they have to be thankful for in their life. And, this is, and they're a nervous Nelly type like me, all right? Um, and, and so what they've said is what's happened is when they show up for, uh, for work, instead of that spirit of anxiety and, oh, bad things are going to happen, they're operating on the top rail instead of the bottom rail. And they said it's made such a huge difference. So there's some practical uh, things for you. Um, I want to invite Chris to come up, and, and he's going to lead us in a closing song. And while you're singing, 
I would like you to consider doing something because we talk about worry as being a choice. And I know there's part of you and you're going, oh, I don't know if I totally buy into that or not, even though it's what Jesus says, okay? So I, I want to give you an opportunity while we're singing, and that's this. Think of that big thing that you're worried about. And if you would be willing to do so today, I want you to consider, and while you're singing, you just open your hands, palm up, and you tell God, because he can hear you in your brain, right? I'm choosing today to give this to you. I let go of it. I can't control it. Worrying's not going to do me any good. Here it is. It's yours. And let him take it and see if that doesn't make a difference as you start out this week.